the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. That's something that, you know, we try to carry over with our, our social strategy with a lot of attorneys is, you know, hey, there's no magic pill for a lot of this. You have to just be out in the community and you can accentuate all that with social. But if you're not really ingratiated in your community, then things aren't going to work as well as you think they are on social. Like you're not just going to go put up, you know, make a funny post and then all of a sudden get cases off of it. you got to be somebody that's in the community that folks really trust. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is... The Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. You're back on the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Jimmy, how's your drive to Indianapolis? I'm heading to Indianapolis. I got a... Uh, Naturalization interview, meet with some new clients on an interesting case. And then I just got back from vacation in Panama City, Florida with the kids and Imani. And I took a break in the middle of the vacation to go up to Chicago for my quarterly strategic coach meeting, which got me all pumped up for all the kinds of things that we like to talk about on this show. How about you? I'm just uh, prepping for trial I've got next week. So it's be a fun trial. Um, other than that, I haven't been doing a whole lot. I guess we took a little mini vacation a couple weeks ago, but nothing, nothing too major. It sucked because I was sick during it, but it was still nice to just get just to get away from the office and recharge my batteries as much as I could. So it was a lot of fun. You had a lot of videos you shot on the beach, it seems. So that was pretty cool. It was kind of like you were the uh, knockoff of Mitch Jackson. So it was, it was a cool little, <laughs> cool little series. All right, Jimmy, so we're doing something a little different this week. We've got two guests on. We've got David and Hayden Haskins. They own Haskins & Company, and they got started a little over uh, 10 years ago, and they've worked with over 100 law firms uh, with things such as implementing smart and aggressive growth strategies, and they go all over the country speaking at conferences and CLEs. David and Hayden, how you doing? Good. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good to be on. Guys, we're really excited to have you on this week. I remember when we were playing the Maximum Lawyer Conference that you guys were kind enough to buy four tickets to the show, and that was <laughs> the most tickets bought by anyone. So we're big fans <laughs> of yours. Tell us a little Thanks. bit about how you guys got started in the industry. Yes, I had a, uh, a, a friend. I worked in some political campaigns uh, through school. After I got out of school, I had a friend who launched a law practice, and I uh, just sort of gravitated towards it, towards the marketing side. Uh, we tossed ideas around and came up with a 
uh, Spanish marketing efforts that we put together because I, I speak Spanish, my mother's Spanish, and that really took off in the community, uh, which provided us, you know, capital and sort of momentum to to try all sorts of different marketing strategies, English and Spanish, online and offline. And so within, you know, three months, I was working full time for him. Um, and then I, I worked about three years there and then started my own company. Hayden's been with me ever since then. And, and we've been uh, doing uh, web marketing, SEO, a lot of SEO for law firms all over the country now it's about uh, since about 2012. Yeah. You know, I came into this business after, um, again, I'd done some political work just like David had kind of gotten into it. And uh, my last one I did, I worked, uh, you know, on Obama's campaign in 2012, moved back to my hometown and, and David was kind of starting this whole thing up. And, you know, I, I knew a lot of the stuff that he didn't know and, and vice versa. You know, the way we like to describe it is uh, he, he roasts the pig and I put lipstick on it. So, you know, he, he knew how to make things work on the back end and uh, I know how to make it all look good and make it look easy. So um, we, we realized we had a good marriage of talents there. So that's actually a great segue into my first question that I wanted to ask you. How do you all divvy up the work? What does each of you actually do other than roasting the pig and putting on the lipstick? <laughs> So I lead the SEO efforts, the SEO and content efforts. Uh, Hayden's our marketing director. So, uh, you know, anything, uh, building new sites, uh, landing pages, uh, Hayden ties all of the lead tracking in as well so that, you know, we're able to do reporting and, and, you know, sort of have accountability. Uh, And then I'm sort of leading the team uh, on the SEO strategy and then sort of high level account management and, and working directly with clients on that kind of stuff. I make sure everything uh, that needs to get made gets made, and uh, <laughs> David makes sure that everything that needs to come up comes up. Uh, <laughs> it's the, the simple way of putting it. Yeah. Fellas, I'm interested in what did you learn from your political campaigns working on candidate cases and then transferring that over to the legal field? One of the things initially that really helped from the political sphere that we took into the law firm was our very first marketing effort, which was uh, focused on the Spanish community. It was very much like a grassroots political campaign. So we didn't start by saying, you know, which are the billboards that we can buy for, you know, $1,500 a month, or where can we put ten dollars to $20,000 worth of TV around the area? We looked at it and said, where are these people going? What kind of events do they go to? What kind of restaurants and stores do they shop in? And what kind of, um, you know, periodicals or the uh, magazines do they, do they read? Once we looked at those, we saw that, you know, at the time, this, the firm that I was in was doing mostly family and criminal work. And most of the Spanish marketing efforts or the Spanish outreach was for personal injury. So we sort of filled that niche but we did it in a way that was very grassroots. So, you know, we would just eat at Spanish restaurants, eat at Mexican restaurants, go to the the tiendas and the bakeries and just introduce ourselves. And we printed out, uh, (laughs) we printed out Spanish business cards with a, the Spanish phone number on it, which we called the Caliente line. (laughs) And it was very much um, handshake face to face rooted. So, we were going to community meetings. We were introducing ourselves to, you know, sort of the leaders and the gatekeepers of the community. And it was very much like, you know, like a, like a grassroots political campaign. Everything was done on a, on a pretty tight budget. And uh, really, that's, that's one of the things that 
I think we really a lot of times bring to the table is that like my experience in law firm marketing came from I I help a friend who's 27, 28 years old starting his practice. He has no rich parents that are funding his practice. He doesn't have any sort of uh, momentum or anything. He literally puts a shingle out, has almost no money, and we're trying to make something out of nothing. And that was that was really, I think, a lot like a like a political campaign, sort of building it from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just to kind of, I mean, I had a very similar experience politically. You know, I worked on a few races in uh, South Carolina, but you know, going to uh, a state where a city and a territory where nobody knew me, and you know, when I worked on President Obama's campaign, just you know, the way that they did organize is they kind of just parachute you into a territory and and kind of you know show you how to how to kind of get into that territory. You know, I was a complete outsider. I mean, in every sense of the word, really. Um, I was in Scotland County, North Carolina. And what I had to do was very similar to what they had to do, uh, you know, with the Spanish market is really just get out into the community and, and make real connections with real people and develop real relationships. That's something that, you know, we try to carry over with our, our social strategy with a lot of attorneys is, you know, hey, there's no magic pill for a lot of this. You have to just be out in the community and you can accentuate all that with social. But if you're not really ingratiated in your community, then things aren't going to work as well as you think they are on social. Like you're not just going to go put up, you know, make a funny post and then all of a sudden get cases off of it. You got to be somebody that's in the community that folks really trust. That's one of the things I learned from, you know, political organizing is, you know, folks are going to come and volunteer for me because, you know, they, they love Obama. You know, if, if they really wanted to do that, they'd just go knock doors by themselves, which, you know, in some cases they did. But, you know, they come volunteer for you because they, they like you. I think the same applies as an attorney. You've got to be a part of that community and really, um, you know, and really just have real relationships throughout your community. So I guess get a little more specific. I, I had responded to a help a reporter out article request a few months ago and I ended up being quoted in it because they were asking about people that have hired um, companies or individuals to do the social media outreach. And I think it's, I think you could fail and fall flat on your face if you do it the wrong way when when you're talking about social media stuff. So I think it it really is about engagement and and making sure you're real with with your community, uh, your social media community. So do you all help people, attorneys, with their social media outreach? And and what are some specifics on how you do it? Yeah, so I think I've seen uh, mentioned a few times in the group when someone's looking to hire somebody to do their social media is a very – that's a very tricky scenario to be in. If you do hire somebody, I would say absolutely needs to be somebody local, Mm -hmm. either full-time or part-time in the office or at least – regularly involved physically around the office. The the thing that we do to help people with social media is to, when they have a social presence, we, we sort of help them uh, build upon it with, I hate the term, but like growth hacking strategies. So creative things like giveaways, contests, community efforts. We do like, for instance, every September we'll do uh, for our personal injury lawyers, we'll do car seat giveaways. And those are huge. So we give away car seats. I always tell everybody you, you'll give away one for the contest, but plan on giving away two or three just because you'll get such a huge response. And people would be putting pictures of their children. They'll have sob stories. The last one that we did, you know, one of the one of the the posts or one of the comments of one of the entries, they they put up there how they 
have to take the kid home from ICU after a month and they don't have a car seat and they have to give the one back to the hospital. And our client called us up. He's like, can we give this woman another car seat? Can we just give another one away? So, you know, those sorts of things are really powerful, but absolutely either if you're not going to do it yourself, have somebody in the office that's regularly involved with all of your community, uh, you know, community events. David and I were talking offline before we started the show about a topic and the topic that we came up with was the ways that lawyers can stop getting screwed over by their marketing companies. And I thought that was a pretty provocative title. What, (laughs) what were you thinking about David when we were sort of going through that? I think we, we have an interesting perspective in that we probably looked at and evaluated more lawyer marketing contracts or lawyer marketing relationships and, um, than probably any of the attorneys, certainly, that, that are in the group or that, that you work with. I think a lot of times it, it, it is it, the, the marketing arena is very much like a client that comes to you. You know, Jim, it, a client comes to you and says, I have never done the immigration process before, right? Or Tyson, they come to you, I have never made a claim like this before, and I have no idea what to do, and I am going to get railroaded if I try to do this myself. And a lot of times attorneys get into marketing arrangements, contractual agreements, and they are not as familiar with the, you know, the lay of the land as somebody like, like, like me or Hayden that's, yeah. that's actually seen a lot of the work that's out there or a lot of the shady tactics, you know, that, that people do. So we often see attorneys that we talk to and they're just, you know, sort of, um, they're just really drained. They've yeah. kind of given up and they want to throw in the towel, like, yeah, I have another, you know, another contract, another provider that fell through and everything sounded great the first month. And now it's just, just like every other, every other one. So what I wanted to do was, you know, sort of educate some of your listeners on things to really watch out for the big red flags that we've seen, you know, when you're entering into a relationship with, you know, either online or offline marketing companies. So let's get into that then. Let's let's talk a little bit more about that. What yeah. are what are some of the things whenever you're evaluating these companies? What are things you should look for whenever you're looking at them? One of the big ones is going to be uh, contractual limits and ownership of content and IP. One thing that just never ceases to amaze me is you guys are attorneys and you get into these very restrictive contracts that don't allow you to own your own content or they put you into, let's say for a website, they put you into a, a website platform that uh, is closed. So it's, um, and it's own it's owned by the marketing company. And if you want to, you know, cancel them, then you also lose the, even lose the ability to run that website, you know, without them. So I've actually seen one where a company, a law firm was with a, a marketing company for about 10 years. And at no point in the contract did they own the content. So they had 10 years of content they had built up mm-hmm. through the company. And they ended up having to buy the content out outright for like, it was between 50 and $60,000. After they'd been paying this firm for 10, 10 whole years, that would be one of the, the big things. And so, you know, you get into an, an, an arrangement or a relationship and then, you know, a year, two years, three, 10 years down the road, you realize, it's going to cost you an extra, you know, however much just to own the content, own the, own the platform or whatever. That's a big one. Another one I think would be things like transparency and reporting. I have seen 
sort of like a black box that people will put the the reporting in. Uh, so marketing company will be running the website, and then they will sort of black box the analytics or or the, or the stats so that you don't get the true analytics from Google Analytics. You just get the portions that they want you to see. So one example of this would be we were doing uh, one of our audits and a client showed us the report and the report, like if you look at the graph, every single month, the, the, the report shows the graph going up and to the right in terms of leads every single month, more higher and higher and higher. Well, when, when you actually look at what the graph says, it's cumulative leads. So it, by default, it has to go up every month because it is showing you the cumulative leads. So even if you have one lead, it's the, you know, the, the graph is still going up to the right. And I mean, I've just seen lawyers are very busy. They have a lot of things going on, especially solos and, and small firms and partners. They have a lot of things going on. They can't dig into and become, you know, reporting, you know, or analytics experts. And so these are, these are some of the things that we see that, that, that end up happening. Jimmy, I've got a follow-up really quick because it, it relates to the, the whole contractual thing. I'm curious if, if David and Hayden have, have seen something similar. So my my partner at his old firm, they had hired a one of the big Internet companies. I'm sure you know who they are. They do SEO. Yeah. And it was a very, very similar situation. And what he had done is he he realized, like, listen, we are not getting the results that we think we're, we, we're supposed to get. So he hired another company. He, took, he gave them the contract and said, I want you to take this contract and see if they are doing what they say they're doing. And they were doing mm-hmm. maybe 10% of what, what they said they were yeah. doing. So he was able to get out of that contract. Have you all seen anything similar to that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, then, and then even on top of that, I think a lot of times, the, um, especially really the bigger the agency or the bigger the provider, then it, it even it just becomes an issue of checking the boxes off. Right. Like um, you look at that and, and you would say they're only doing 10 percent, even sometimes, even when they are doing 100 percent of the you know, line items from the contract. In the end, you don't care if they do 100 percent of the things if it's not working. Yeah. But, yeah, I've seen that a lot. And, and, and it just goes back to, you know, lawyers are very busy. They don't have the time to follow up. I mean, Tyson, you're getting ready for trial. If at the end of this week you said, I'm going to take the afternoon off. Instead of focusing on my trial, I'm going to dig in and really hold the, the marketing company accountable. It, at some point, really, your time is more valuable to be spending on your legal work than you are auditing and trying to, you know, make sense, make sense of yeah something that you've already hired somebody to do. But yeah, I, I have seen that a lot, and I, several of these examples are probably the same large provider that you're that you're speaking of. Yeah. Yeah, and just a cautionary tale for me. I mean, I was a relatively new lawyer. I didn't know much about SEO or about websites. I had a static, boring, five-page, generic website. And I came across a law firm marketing company out of Virginia that focused on websites for attorneys. And I spent $10,000 building up that site, and then I was paying them $750 a month to just run the site. That wasn't even for SEO. That was just to run the site. And slowly it dawned on me that, and they had all their content in a proprietary system that looked an awful lot like WordPress, but it was a little bit different. And it dawned on me that I was the one adding all the content to the website. And this was back in the day when the more content you added, the better. So I was adding content every other day 
and they were they I don't think were doing many of the things that they were supposed to be doing. And so I paid all that money, and then because it was locked up in their proprietary system, when I decided to pull it out and get it into WordPress, I had to pay someone else. So it wasn't even a matter of who owned the content. It was just the cost of getting the content out of their locked up system. That that was a whole other thing. So I really encourage our listeners to, to listen to David and Hayden and to think about, you know, do I really understand what I'm spending my money on? Am I really yeah. locking myself into a system that I'm not going to be able to get out of? And then, you know, what advice do you have for someone like Tyson or I or our listeners where they do have to focus much more on getting ready for trial or getting their work done? And I mean, one little tidbit I throw out there that's been helpful for me is find a 19 year old. 19 year old is <laughs> yeah. a lot cheaper than a big yeah. law firm. And if you're lucky enough to come across someone like Kent Richardson, I really think that that's just a, a much more manageable way to go. And you should always be in control and fully understand where every dollar you're spending goes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you can find somebody that's talented in those areas that you need and, and they're actually local and you can deal with them physically yeah. and, and personally, that's, I mean, that's going to be your best bet in the area of SEO that I will tell you, I hate the industry and I hate trying to weed out talent because literally every single person you ever meet always says that they're the best at everything. Uh, (laughs) as you've probably known if you you know you've talked to companies i would say one thing when you evaluate a a provider one of the ways that many of you will make your decision will be to talk to the you know representative from the company and then sort of ask for some references and um you know you might get two or three four names of course they're going to be good references yeah right so i mean nobody's ever going to give you a name of a client of theirs that hates them or that fired them, right? So just know that having three good references that you can call is almost worthless, right? <laughs> I would say talk to attorneys that you know and ask them who they're using. And you know, if you have to, of course, not just looking at attorneys in your market, because that's what a, a lot of times what people will do is they'll look yeah. at other attorneys in their market, then call those firms and they're already, you know, locked out. But I'd call attorneys, you know, across the state, ask people who are doing well, who uh, are having success in their campaigns, asking who they're using, and then find a couple and vet those. But, you know, really, if somebody's doing good work for a friend or a colleague of yours, and they can vouch for them, that's much better than having a, you know, a random company of a random person giving you a reference or a name of another, you know, random lawyer. One thing I like to do is I just like to say, here's all of the attorneys that we work for, go call any of them. And if any of them say, don't hire us, just don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rather than say like, here's three people that will give you a glowing reference. I think that's much stronger and more, more, uh, you know, authentic, but you know, I mean, this is not a, this is not an area that you that you are in every every week. So the process of hiring and vetting and sort of weeding through the BS is not going to be natural. You know, when it comes to to like what marketing companies you can trust and that kind of thing. I mean, you really just have to look at markets that are bigger than yours and find the guys that are really dominating the search engine result pages and look at who they're using. Go to the bottom of their website. Nine times out of ten, they're going to have a link to whatever SEO company they're using. But you know, you really going with folks that you trust. I mean, anybody can go find, you know, a handful of lawyers and, and say, hey, we're going to do your SEO for free. Just say good stuff about us when the time's right, when people call you or whatever. And 
and they'll say good things about them until the cows come home. Let me give you a, a specific tactic that you can use because I know how slime balls will work and this will work in your favor. Let's say you're evaluating a company, they give you three references. You call the three references, they all sound great and you're comfortable moving forward with the company. As you are onboarding, let that company know, hey, listen, if I am not satisfied with this, I'm going to call those three references back and let them know how, how terrible of a job you did and how upset I am that, that you referred them to me. So we actually were testing a few marketing strategies out, and we hired a company to do a geofencing campaign one time. Oh God, yeah. And it was just a total mess, man. It was, it was complete garbage. We got zero leads, yeah. zero reporting or anything, and we basically said, you're not even doing any part of our agreement. And so we asked for the money back and they, they said like, no, we'll give you a few extra months or whatever. And then finally our COO just said, you can pay us the money back. You can refund us what we've paid you. You haven't performed anything. Or I'm going to call your three references, which is probably the only three references they have. And I'm just going to ream them out and let them know, you know, hey, you didn't perform and let them know that I'm actually mad at them for referring you. And that got the money refunded by the end of the day. <laughs> and, and actually, uh, you know, funny story. One of the references we realized, we did some research, we realized one of the references was uh, the guy who owned the company's buddy that he played football with in high school. So, yeah. you know, you should never trust the references they give you. And, you know, obviously, unless they're going to give you the whole roster. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, if someone just selectively hands you a, a couple of references, I mean, you know, it's like a resume. You know, you're going to put people that are going to say nice stuff about you on your resume. Otherwise, you're not going to put them on your resume. So this leads me to an interesting question because I think it's it's a topic that goes on quite a bit in, on the Facebook page or Facebook group. And the biggest question that it comes down to is, should you do all the SEO in-house or should you contract it out? Now, I think you all might be a little bit biased, but what is your <laughs> response to that 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 question that goes on quite a bit? I would say it's different for each firm. And yeah, we, we're biased, but you know, one of the things we do is we do this audit and I will get on a call with a prospective client and they're, they're shocked when they hear me say this. I say, what we're going to do in this audit is I'm going to find the reasons why you should not even take this on right now. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try to dig into all these different areas and try to find why you shouldn't even try this or why you shouldn't embark on this. If I can't, then I'll show you what you should do, how we would do it, and sort of give you a roadmap for if you wanted to hire somebody else or how some hire somebody locally, we'd give you the I'll give you the roadmap in this in this audit for how you could perform this yourself. And that's always catches people off guard because yes, of course we're biased, of course we want to, you know, get more clients and, and grow the business and, and all that. But, you know, really in the end I've just seen a lot of scenarios where a firm might think that, you know, they'll call us up and they'll say, uh, yeah, I need to, I need to fix my SEO and we'll start digging and we'll realize it's not a marketing problem. It's a, uh, it's, it's something a, it's else, a, right? A, like, I like to call it a you problem. You yeah. know? <laughs> I and mean, it could be that, that it's a staffing problem. And for instance, in one of our audits, we did a phone audit of, of all their phone leads and several times they would have a case that was maybe not the primary focus of the firm, they'd have like an ancillary case, like maybe they did one where anytime somebody called about workers' comp, the receptionist was just telling them, oh, you should call so-and-so because that person's a, one of the most reputable workers' comp lawyers in the, in the city, rather than 
sort of doing the intake and then ha- letting the attorney and the staff run it through their referral channel, you know, they were just sending it away. Or um, we found another one where the uh, pay-per-click company was doing, well, there was a lead generation company. They were selling the, the firm leads for $400 a lead. And one of the ways they were generating these leads oh, yeah. was they made a second website, a copy of the firm's website. They ran leads with the law firm's name. So they bought the law firm's name, which is like less than five bucks per click, right? Yeah, and, and keep, keep in mind, these guys bought a lot of TV. They sponsored yeah. uh, a major they, NFL team. Yeah, this is a huge firm. Law firm. So there's, there was tons of search for their name. And so they were buying the firm's name intaking the calls and then selling the leads to the firm for $400 a lead. Uh, and these are people who already, by typing the name, already wanted to contact that firm. So a lot of times, you know, we want to figure out the reasons why what they're doing currently isn't working. But then you know, if you if you were to determine that you should embark on an SEO effort, then I would say, I'd say you could do content in-house if you have either the staff or you have yourself, you know, have the time to, to write your own content, I would at least get a consultant to maybe periodically check, make sure that you're doing a lot of technical things right, make sure that you're tracking results correctly, tracking lead sources and that sort of thing. But yeah, we have clients that will do, we have clients that do a lot of their own video. And then we also have clients that like to create their own content. And so we use that to supplement because, I get the question a lot when the clients, you know, engaging us or asking about hiring us is, well, I'd also like to write my own content. And what has happened a lot of times is they have the best of intentions, but just because business ramps up, you have trial, you have all these things going on that as a focus tends to drop off. Whereas with a company like us, that's our, that's our, that's our job. So um, we don't end up getting distracted and that sort of thing. But, yeah, you absolutely could do it um, in-house, but I would get somebody to help with some of the technical list and, and that sort of thing. I think the point that you made about it's not always a, a lead problem, but sometimes it's a conversion problem or some other tracking mm-hmm. problem, or I think that's a, an excellent point. We're talking with David and Hayden Haskins today about law firm marketing and sort of the ways that, the, that you can be taken advantage of. Fellas, one thing that Tyson and I have been kicking around lately is the difference between clients who hire an attorney based on a contingency fee where they're not going to have any out-of-pocket expenses versus lawyers who get paid up front by the clients themselves yeah. in consumer-facing mm-hmm. type practices. Do you have any thoughts or different marketing mindsets for those two scenarios? Yeah, you know, uh, like a family law campaign or a criminal defense campaign, you know, when we do one of those, it's a little different than doing, you know, a personal injury or car accident campaign, just simply because of the fact that, you know, I mean, if you want, you could go spend a couple hundred bucks and get a whole slurry yeah. of uh, family law leads, but they're all just going to be, you know, uh, you know, can you modify my child support payment? I can't afford it. And, you know, it's, it's just going to be a bunch of folks who can't really afford, you know, your representation. One way we've kind of, you know, ensured that we can get better quality leads uh, for our family law clients is we'll just target, you know, very, uh, you know, affluent areas in the in the town and 
and, and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things that I bring up in our audit is yeah. is we've had firms also that will do you know one which I call contingency, the other which I call like retail law. You know, like walk yeah. up, pay money, and start getting services. And for some firms, just depending on their uh, risk tolerance, depending on their cash flow and their budgeting, their projection, uh, you know, their, you know, case intake modeling or whatever their strategy is, is, is let's look at the trade-off between tackling this practice area, right? So, you know, maybe they do criminal defense, family law, and personal injury. And sometimes I have helped in the uh, criminal and family effort before the personal injury, just because the personal injury is much more competitive. Uh, and then also, you know, as long as it takes to get to where you're starting to generate leads in personal injury, then you have the case settlement, you know, maybe even six, nine months down the road that that, that will be starting. So, you know, understanding the difference between when you're going to start seeing an ROI in one practice area versus another and making sure that 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 expectation is set and that ex- that expectation is being met. Yeah, that's absolutely a, a huge consideration. All right, guys, I don't want you all to give away all your secrets, but what, what I do want you to do is can you give the listeners maybe one quick win if they were going to do their own SEO in-house? What's one quick win they could do today to kind of get going okay. on it? All right, you're looking under the hood. So let's say that you are a, a high-end attorney, you have some really good results, and you're trying to compete against some of the bigger marketers and that sort of thing. I would say, actually, this would be a good one for John Fisher, right? So take the state that you practice in, create a landing page that's optimized for referrals. So um, Tyson, so yours would be uh, Missouri Personal Injury Attorney for Referrals. Right. Optimize this page. Talk about some of the case and trial victories that you've had and talk about how you treat your referral partners and how you, you know, how you treat clients and you know, how you want to, you know, to maintain the highest level of you know, everything. Right. When an attorney in Tulsa, Oklahoma has a case in St. Louis, if he doesn't already have a connection, right, like we see people in the group, I need an attorney that does this in this city. If he doesn't have some sort of referral or a network connection, they're literally going to Google it just like a person in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that doesn't have a, you know, that's not an attorney would. So when they're Googling for a personal referral, because a lot of times they use the word referral, they're Googling, they will find your page even if you don't naturally rank number one for personal injury, if they were to type that word referral, then you have a much better chance of showing up if you, you know, optimize the page for that. That's one thing that people don't think about because they just think of like the practice area or like the high intent search keyword. But with a phrase like that, that could attract a higher end case, you know, that's from another state where the attorney's trying to source, uh, you know, local counsel to, to, to partner in on that case. So that was, I would say is that it's sort of an easy win, even in a very competitive, you know, sort of market. Well, as I know that you were both at the conference and we were all expecting a big battle royale between Seth Price and William Eby <laughs> that never, never really materialized. But I, I was wondering what your thoughts and impressions were on William's top secret, very, what I thought was very excellent presentation on that SEO question that Tyson was asking about sort of do-it-yourself SEO. 
So I will be completely honest, and I think I told William this um, after his talk. I had sort of a bad taste in my mouth when I read his title, like SEO with no backlinks. I was like, oh, oh man, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And then and then I heard him, and one of the first things he said was, look, if Google really had their way, they wouldn't rely on link, on links at all, right? If they really could just assess content and, you know, and the author and, you know, and the provider and the, and the site without looking at links, they would, you know, without looking at this, you know, sort of manufactured and, 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 and produced effort to rank, they would do that. And, and he was very right. And I, I really like what he's doing. I mean, his content, he's gone, you know, all the way, all the way in on, on that. And, and he's ended up ranking for some of those keywords nationally, which is really strong. But no, yeah, I mean, you had great, you had great people at the conference and there's, I think there's a handful of, of marketing companies that are involved in the group and they're all, they're all the good guys. Seth one time said, you know, he said, look, you know, people like us, you and me and a handful of other ones, he's like, we are like pimples on the back of, you know, he named one of the, one of the big companies. And, and we realized that a lot of these firms, people like, like us and Blue Shark and, you know, consult with and some of these groups, we're doing really good work and we're, we're trying to do things correctly and hold ourselves accountable. So I think you're probably going to be very safe if you are talking to people in the group or, yeah. uh, you know, talking to their providers. I have seen, actually, there was a talk last week and somebody was talking about the, the Avo platform and, and, and them being sold. And I wanted to mention that I think they were, they were asking is that going to go to a pay only? And that's one of the things that the very large sites have really, really come down on is sort of locking the site up. And then even, I would say this is another thing to look out for. Uh, just like a marketing company could buy your name as a yeah. keyword and, and then sell you your own leads. Some of these sites are using your likeness and your picture and your profile to generate leads for themselves. And that actually, Tyson, I actually saw that on, on your NOLO profile last week. Um, I was testing this out and you pull up, you know, Matrix Finney on NOLO. There's a big orange button right underneath your logo. And I mean, it really is in many ways is, is dishonest. So it says Matrix Finney and then it says contact us. And big orange button, contact us. You click that and you type your information in, talk about your case, and then that gets sold to five companies. And you might be one of them on that lead, but, you know, sometimes you might not be. But that's one thing to, you know, that I think people don't always notice is, is that kind of stuff is, it's not as visible. So it's not something that you, you know, would notice. It's not like it's happening on the front page of your website or on the, on the homepage of your competitor's website or anything like that. It's, sort of in the background and you really have to dig and discover yeah. you know, that kind I mean, of thing. You know, you're going to call one of these people up and they're going to say, oh, I work with another firm. And first thing you're going to think is, oh, you know, they're selling my leads to, you know, five different law firms. But that's, that's what's happening with a lot of these sites. Although Tyson, I will say when I, when I put my name in there, one of the, other, like three other firms called me and I told them, oh, no, 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 I was trying to reach somebody else. And one of the firms still, still said, oh, well, you know, we do personal injury. We can still help you, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They weren't going to let that one slip by. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. All right, Jimmy, as much as I hate to wrap up this episode, there's a lot 
more information that we can get from these two, and I've got a ton more questions, so I'll just ask them offline is what I'll do. So before we get to our tips and our hacks for the week, I do want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group. We are 13, I think, away from 600 members, which is kind of crazy, thinking about where we were just a few months ago. And also go to iTunes, if you will, or wherever you get your podcast, and give us a five-star review, please. I was looking at some of the other lawyer groups and lawyer uh, podcasts, and I think we're among the top when it comes to Facebook group and then also reviews, but I don't, I'm not sure if we have the most reviews. So if you all could really kind of focus on giving us some reviews, that would be awesome. I wanted to make sure that David and Hayden talk about how we can find you, how if people are interested in doing work with yeah. you guys, sort of yeah. let us know all the places that you're, we can find you on the web. So yeah, if you'd like to find us on the web, haskins.co, haskins.co. And if you're interested in the audit, if you tell us that you came from Max Lawyer, we'll do a 50% discount on the audit if you'd like that. All right, Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? All right, so for my hack of the week, I just came back, like I said, from Coach, and I sat down yesterday, and, you know, I definitely am not, structure is not a strong suit for me, but I went and I mapped out an ideal week for me in 15-minute increments for 24 hours a day, so I I have a, a goal of what I'm going to be doing on each day of the week and during different times of the week. Now, obviously that won't always work, but just going through that exercise of seeing how I'm spending my time and how I'd like to spend my time was really helpful. There's a template that I downloaded. I just typed in Excel calendar spreadsheet and I loaded that up onto Google Sheets and I sat down and and mapped out the time that hopefully is going to be the way I spend it. And it was really helpful. My tip of the week would be a book on SEO. And if you are interested in doing your own SEO yourself, this is probably the best SEO book that I have read. And it's not very technical. It's not a manual. It's not it's not code and, and, and keyword density and percentages and all that stuff. It's a book called In the Plex. It's by an author named Stephen Levy. And it's basically a biography of Google, and um, it it sort of goes into the history of Google, the uh, you know the founding of uh, of Google, the launch of the search engine, their spam team, their SEO team, and and just talks about Google sort of as an individual almost. And if you sort of understand the history of Google and what they're looking for and what their goals are, then I think it will help you uh, you know create content that Google will like. It's called In the Plex by Stephen Levy. I love it. All right, Hayden, you're not getting out of giving a tip. So what's your tip of the week? (laughs) My tip of the week (laughs) is to figure out how to track where your leads are coming from. Figure out exactly where on your website and and get as granular as you possibly can with that information. And uh, figure out what your your true cost per case is. A lot of firms, you know, they get into this practice where they just kind of take everything – that their marketing company is selling them with where their leads are coming from and, and the value of those leads, the acquisition costs. Uh, one way to do that uh, would be to just install CallRail on your website. Uh, it's really easy. You just go to callrail.com. You can set it up uh, within five minutes. And I would do what they call a number pool where they have uh, an integration called dynamic number insertion. And uh, it's a small script you can paste on the top of your website. And what it'll do is it'll change the phone number depending on where someone's coming from. 
so you can kind of see which efforts are producing leads and cases. Honestly, if you uh, you know if you want to set this up or you're trying to set it up and having trouble with it, shoot me a message on Facebook. I'll walk you through it. It's very easy, but I've found that it's very valuable to know exactly where those leads are coming from and what's actually producing and what's actually giving you those uh, nuisance calls or folks are coming, calling and tire kicking and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll notice that you get things from certain pages and other pages will produce lower quality leads. So, you know, again, callreal.com. That's my big tip. That's awesome. It's funny. It's kind of timely because mastermind experience, John Fisher's mastermind experience is doing a demo today of call rail. Michael Samuel over there is doing that. So that's, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. all right. So my tip of the week is actually it's, it's related to sort of what we're talking about today and we wanted to speed up our website. And so what we've done, and this is based upon advice of William Eady is we've actually moved all of our stuff just last week over to a private server. So we have our, we have our own private server. It's, it's a, it's a hosted server, I guess, um, a cloud server. I don't, I don't know what you call it. Uh, David and Hayden, but we we basically put, pay for a private server. It is more expensive than than doing a shared server, but it it sped up our our website quite a bit. So, and I think I think that that's something that is is a factor, right? Uh, whenever it comes yes. to SEO, so that's why we did it. So we want to speed up our website. We're doing a lot of changes to our stuff. So that is my tip of the week: move all your stuff over to a private server. Jim, you have anything else before we wrap it up? Just one last thing. It's that time of year where people can go to the ABA Journal's uh, ranking of podcasts if people want to give us a shout out there that, that helps with the voting. Oh, that's a good one. All right. Well, all right. So, David, Hayden, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an awesome, awesome episode. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. The Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content. Go to MaximumLawyer.com Have a great week and catch you next time.